I'm going to start by reading um, Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, and she began weeping at his feet. And she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed his feet, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she, performed, she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. Whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Have you ever been given such an unbelievable gift that you weren't sure in the moment how to respond? In the summer of uh, 2013, so not the summer, the one before that, um, I was dating a girl named Molly, who's now my wife, and we've been dating for about three years at the time, and she was out, out of town on vacation, and her parents invited me over for dinner. Um, and I, on my drive, it's about 30 minutes out to their house out in Mount Juliet, and I was on my way on that drive just thinking, there's something different about tonight. I don't know what it is, but my heart, there's just something different about it. I have no idea why, but there's something different. So I pull up and we have dinner and it was a good dinner. The conversation was normal. We were catching up. It's something that we did quite regularly and still do. And nothing, nothing spectacular happened at the dinner. Then we go outside to their porch and we're talking, cutting it up and just catching up. And then all of a sudden her dad looks at me and he says, Josh, are you going to propose to our daughter, Molly? And I'm like, this is not how I envisioned the conversation to go at the start. It's like, who's potential father-in-law asked the son-in-law, are you going to marry my daughter? And so I was taken back and I was like, actually, yes, I've been planning and dreaming about this for several months now. And I have a plan and getting some details ready, but one big problem, I don't have a ring. And, I, and Molly at this time didn't want to know anything about the proposal, didn't want to know anything about the ring. She didn't even give me a yes, like I'm going to say yes. She just wanted me to go out on a limb. And so I had planned three or four times to go ring shopping and Molly ruined every single one of those plans without knowing it. So I'm sitting here frustrated. And I said, I just don't have a ring. And Molly's mom looks at me and she goes, I think I know exactly why you don't have a ring yet. She runs upstairs, she runs downstairs, and she opens up this box and shows me this ring. And it's over 80 years old, and it was given to them um, by a family friend who gave it to his wife, and she wore it for 60 years. And then once she passed away, she gave, or he gave that ring um, to the minsters and then gave that to them for their daughter to wear on their wedding day. And so they had had that for, ring for 25 years. And, I'm just, and they said, it is yours free of charge. And I'm just sitting there, are you kidding me? I was overwhelmed by this gift. 
I didn't know how to respond. And here in Luke chapter 7, there are two people who are presented with an unbelievable gift from Jesus, and they have no idea how to respond. And it's a beautiful story. Starting in verse 36, we're told that one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So there's two characters here. There's a Pharisee who we're told his name is Simon later, and then Jesus. What you need to know about Pharisees is that they were highly respected religious and political figures in their day. They kind of set the standard for what it looked like to be a good rule follower, to be devoted to God. And so everything about their life was about being in right relationship with God the Father. And so they thought that they would do that by setting the rules and and maintaining a hard line and being pure and not doing what a lot of other people would do. And they were kind of the ones who just set it all up and people respected them. They were wealthy, they had power, they had influence. These were the people that everyone admired and wanted to be like. But as if you've been reading the first seven chapters of Luke up until this point, you would know that the Pharisees are already a little bit skeptical of this guy, Jesus, who claims to be a prophet. Because he shows up on the scene and he starts teaching a few different things and he challenges the Pharisees and he even breaks some of their rules. And they're just kind of getting frustrated by him and to the point where Jesus says later that he is God's son, that he is actually God in human form representing God. And this just really kind of upsets the Pharisees. So they're trying to trip Jesus up at any point and they can't. But it's amazing that Jesus knows exactly who this guy Simon, a Pharisee, is. And he's like, yeah, I'll take that dinner invitation. So he goes to have dinner with them. And then in verse 37 and 38, we're introduced to another character. It says, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with their hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. We're introduced to this woman, and we're not even given her name. We're just told that she is a public known sinner. She is known by the bad things that she has done. She's known by the relationships that she's ruined. She's just known when she walks into a room, people are just kind of scared, or not scared, but they're judging her. They know exactly who they are. Just wondering, like, what kind of person is this? Like, what kind of person isn't even known by their actions, but known by what they've done? And I think it's somebody that people use, some people that disregard and forget about and just kind of push to the side. And I've just been thinking, and I think she might have been a prostitute. Somebody who's done things that she, just to put money um, in her pocket to be able to eat, and she's fractured relationships, she's made mistakes, and she knows that her life has not gone according to plan. And so she comes into this room, and this is her. So that's the first thing. That my second question is, what on earth had she heard about Jesus to come to him in this moment and do what she did? Maybe she'd heard that he's a friend of sinners, maybe that, she lo- that he loves people like her. I have no idea, but she's heard something so much so that she saved up over a year of her wages to buy this alabaster jar of perfume and to, to come and meet Jesus at this table. And if the Pharisees and Jesus were having a dinner, this Pharisees, this highly respected group and Jesus, this teacher who's done miracles, who's taught things that people are wanting to learn more about, if they had heard that these two people were having a dinner, like in this case, they would do everything they can to get into the room and surround the table just to listen to the conversation. That was a normal thing in a public dinner those days. And I would imagine even in this case that they're not only surrounding the room with the table, that there's a crowd outside and everyone knows that Jesus is eating dinner with this guy named Simon. And this woman hears about this. She sells everything she has. She buys a a jar of perfume and she pushes her way through the crowd, through people who are probably looking at her negatively, making ugly comments, just in total disgust of this woman, but she ignores it. 
She pushes through the crowd. She pushes into the room. She comes to Jesus and she just falls on her knees and she's weeping. And she's not just shedding a few tears, but she's gushing tears out of her eyes to the point that Jesus's feet are soaked. And then she undoes her hair and she starts wiping Jesus's feet with her hair, which would have been totally disgraceful for her, but she just does not care. And then she takes the perfume that she spent so much money on and she points it, pours it on Jesus's feet. And it's just a moment of emotion and gratitude that she's noticed by Jesus, that she, she knows who this guy is and she's doing this and it's an intense moment. And in verse 39, we're told what the Pharisee is thinking. It says, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. I just can't even imagine the tension in this room going on. If he's thinking this, watching this woman, that he is in his own right way, in his devotion to God, he thinks that he should distance himself to people like this. And so he's distancing himself, and he has this negative view of this woman. I'm just trying to think of the tension filling this room. The only way I can describe it is I think if you're out to dinner, maybe with a mentor, somebody that you're trying to gain respect from and you're trying to earn favor with, and so you take him to a restaurant, and you're eating dinner, and the dinner's going well, and they're respecting you and wanting to get to know you more, and you're wanting to get to know them more, then all of a sudden, that friend walks by in the restaurant, and you kind of duck your head. This is not the time to have this conversation. It's that guy who, from college several years ago, still has not grown up in the slightest bit. And so he comes up, he sees you, he walks up, and immediately just starts hamming it up, just starts telling old stories and jokes, and then proceeds to start telling highly offensive jokes that are jokes not offensive just to your friend, but also to you. And then he's trying to include you like you're in agreement with them. And you're just like, oh my gosh, I've never been there before, trust me. <laughs> but seriously, this tension in the room is there. And I love this because Jesus knows exactly what this guy is thinking. He looks at him and he drops the bomb just simply in verse 40 by saying, Simon, calls him by name. I've got something to tell you. And then he proceeds on. He says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. There were two people who owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And so Jesus, as he always does in, in great ways, he starts telling a story or a parable that describes the exact situation that they're in. He says that there's two people who owe a lot of money. And he uses terms that they would understand, denarii, 500 denarii, which would be about almost two years of wage, and 50 would be about two months. And he starts telling them a story that they would understand. And I think for us to get a picture, I think Jesus could have told the story something like this if he was telling it today. He said there were two guys. One was $80,000 in credit card debt. He's got a family. He's got kids. He can't make it. He's working three jobs. He barely spends any time with his kids or his wife because he's just struggling. He can barely put food on the table. But in the midst of that, he's not even thinking about making payments. He's just trying to survive. He is so swallowed in his debt that he has no life. And he's just frustrated, wondering, how on earth have I got myself into this situation? And then there's another person who's a few years removed from college and has a few thousand dollars in credit card debt. And they seemed manageable at the time when they were taking the loans out. But then when they couldn't find a job after school and they started getting months behind in payment, they're just wondering, Am I ever going to see light at the end of this tunnel? Am I ever going to be able to have the freedom to, to earn the life and the, the living I want? So there's two people, and they both have a really ridiculously generous and kind friend who walks up to him and says, hey, how much do you owe? I want to pay that off. 
It's like Jesus saying, can you imagine the joy and the freedom those people feel? And I love it because he lets Simon discover that. He asks Simon a question, who do you think is going to love him more? And Simon's like, well, of course the one who gave up or had the bigger debt that was forgiven. And Jesus is saying, like, can you imagine being the guy who was $80,000 in debt and your debt was just wiped away? Just the joy and the love that you would experience and be able to take his kids to a ball game or take his wife on a date and to gain his life back. It was freedom. Like the, the guy who just removed from college would be thankful, but he would not even be on the same level as the guy who got his entire life back in one moment. Jesus is saying, this is what's going on right here, because you see the story is not about the debtors. It's not about how much debt you've accrued or the, the wrongs you've done. Jesus is saying, this story is about the generous moneylender. And I love it because he continues to teach them in this moment about the story in verse 44. Then Jesus turns towards the woman and says to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And Jesus, in his compassion for the woman and also Simon, looks to the woman and starts describing the situation to Simon. He says, do you see this person right here? This person that you think you're honoring God by distancing yourself and viewing the way that you do? He said, look, you've got it wrong. He said, look at this woman. She came into this room and you didn't even offer me water for my feet, which would have been a really compassionate thing to do at a meal in those times because they would walk around in sandals on dirt roads. They didn't have nice pavement. And so the dirt roads were dusty at best and most often muddy, and they'd have really nasty, stinky feet. And they wouldn't sit at a table and eat. They would have a table on the ground, and they would lay down on their left side, and they would eat with their right hand with their feet extended out the other way. And so it would be really nice to have not awfully smelling feet. And he's saying, look what this woman did. She, she provided water for my feet that you did not. He said, beyond that, she also she would not stop kissing my feet from the time she entered just like an affectionate sign in those days. Maybe it's like a hug. He said, you wouldn't even acknowledge me as a friend, but this woman cannot stop doing that. She's so thankful. She's so gracious. She's so humble in this moment. He said, you didn't even offer me oil, which would have been cheap, but this woman spent all of her money on perfume to honor me and thank me. It's just this huge contrast here. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, even in your wealth, you reluctantly bought me Taco Bell. And this woman gave up everything that she had to take me to a nice steak dinner at Fleming's. And he's saying, this is what's going on. And it's saying a whole lot more about the woman's gratitude than it's saying about a condemning Simon. I think he is convicting Simon, but I think he wants him to see the bigger picture. And he's asking, why is she doing this? And I love this explanation of verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. She is simply responding to the gift that she sees in Jesus. She knows that this is the only way that she can respond. She accepts the gift freely from Jesus that Jesus has been teaching about every week in the synagogues and the places that she would go to listen. She hears it. She's doing everything she can. She's already accepted it. This is just a sign of her gratitude. It's her response to the grace that she's received from Christ. It's this overwhelming outpouring of love. It's the fruit of her acceptance of, of Jesus' grace. And go back to my story about the ring from the beginning. Remember in that moment being presented with this unbelievable gift, just thinking, wow, 
I was overwhelmed at the moment, and I said, I have to think about it. I don't know if I can. And so I drive home, and on my way home, I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, I've been saving up, not making a ton of money, but I've been saving up for this ring, and I'm presented with something I cannot afford, something that is unbelievably more important and more special to Molly than I could ever imagine giving her, and it's being freely given. There's this moment of, like, I've got to give her this ring. And so I accepted the ring, and that wasn't the end of the story. It wasn't the end of the story that I accepted the ring. I I had to live up to that ring. It was a gift given from Molly's parents, and I chose the responsibility that came with that and started reflecting the love that I had received to my my now wife by accepting the ring. And it's this this story of kind of what's going on here. Because the woman just isn't just accepting the gift. She's living a life in response to the gift that Jesus has given her. And I love that because love is the only legitimate response we can give to Jesus. Everything else is going to pale in comparison. I'd think about how stupid it would be if I received that ring and I proposed to Molly and then got married and just said, all right, I'm done. My responsibilities are over. And I would, what if I walked around and said, hey, I earned this ring. This ring right here, I, I bought this. I earned this right here. It'd be totally ludicrous. It'd be the same thing if I were to take her ring and start comparing it to everybody else's ring and say, look how much better this one is than this one. And I'm right because I've got this ring. And it's, it would be absolutely stupid to do that. And I think this is so often our response sometimes to to Jesus when we accept his grace. He's saying the only legitimate response, as her great love has shown, is to reflect that love, to show that grace. And that's what this woman is doing. She is overwhelmed by the gift that she's been given in Jesus. She has no idea to respond, so she gives up everything she has. She doesn't care about what other people think about her. And she's living a life of love, and she's reflecting what she freely Receive from Christ, which is this beautiful thing. And so who is this gift for? That's what I'm wondering as I read this question, because I think it's both for Simon and it's for this woman, but only one accepts it. Think about my aunt, um, who when I was in elementary school would always give me um, socks for Christmas. I always get so frustrated by getting socks as a third grader. I wanted a Dallas Cowboys jersey or some Legos or something that I, I valued, but socks, are you kidding me? What does a third grade boy in Houston, Texas need socks for? We're just being frustrated about it. And then when I moved here to Nashville to a place where it sometimes dropped below 50 degrees, and uh, I realized when I was out in the cold sometime for a while that socks were a really valuable gift when you need them. It's something, if you have cold feet, you're not going to enjoy your time outside. And I was remembering, like, nothing about the gift changed. Socks were important the whole time. I couldn't recognize it as a third grader in Houston when I didn't need it. It wasn't until I was in a situation where I was experiencing what life without socks was, and I realized this is a really incredible gift. And I think that's kind of, well, who is Jesus for is the question. It's, it's for people who realize that it's a good gift. It's people who realize they cannot pay the debt back. That's what I love in verse 42 in the parable that Jesus is saying. He says, neither one of them had the money to pay him back. So he's talking here very bluntly to Simon and this woman. He said, look, this woman, she knows she has screwed it up. She knows she's made some mistakes, but she knows how good the gift is, so she's giving everything she can as a response to the gift that she's been given. Because you see, the woman was living in a paradigm before where she thought she had screwed up too much, that she was not good enough for God, and that was completely false. Jesus is saying, you're exactly the person that I want receiving this gift. And then we look at Simon, who lives in a paradigm where he doesn't even need Jesus. He thinks because of his devotion to God and his personal purity and all the things that he does, he's in good standing, but he could not be more wrong. It's another false representation of of who God is. He's like, Jesus says the gift is for everyone, and only the people who accept it get to enjoy it, get to live lives reflecting that. And it's this beautiful thing 
And I love this because so often I myself settle for a false um, Jesus as presented in the gospel. I've, I think I've earned my gift, kind of like with the ring, if I were to go around and say that. Or sometimes I think I'm not good enough or I've accepted it and I've screwed it up. And it's just this message where the gospel and Jesus makes it unbelievably clear that God is really good. He's really gracious. He's really patient. He's very kind. He's powerful. And he's really caring. It's like anything less than that is absolute garbage. And it's a false representation. And I just want to challenge, like, look at this God who comes to the table with a person who openly antagonizes him, a guy who's trying to trip him up, a guy who thinks he's too good for Jesus, and Jesus willingly is like, yeah, I'll have dinner with you. I'd love to talk about the gift I've got. He also relates to the same way to this woman who has blown it all. She's really screwed things up, and he willingly chooses to eat with, with these people. So who is Jesus for? It's for anyone and everyone in this room and all over the world who accepts and knows that they're not enough, that they need something more. And I love that it's for the deadbeat parent. It's for those that are in addiction. It's for those who are legalistic and think that they can earn their way. It's for the uninformed and people who have no idea. It's for the people who are oppressed in society and the people who oppress them. It's for the rich and it's for the poor. It's for absolutely everyone is in need of a God that can cancel their debt. You just got to come to him and accept it. I love this. We don't know Simon's story. We don't know what happened. I would hope that he would come to realize that he's in need of Jesus. But we know the woman's response. And she reflects that through the love that she shows to every single person beyond that. So thinking about this, I love that. You don't just accept the gift. You get an identity and a confirmation that we read about in verses 48 and 50. It says, Jesus turns to the woman and says to her, your sins are forgiven. And in 50, he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love that. What a peaceful message. It's like you've accepted the gift on, not on your own works. He said, you've just accepted that Jesus is good and he's for you. So that's awesome. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Be confident of that. Don't ever doubt that because trust me, it is, it's the, just the truth. You couldn't earn this gift. Therefore, you just accept it. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. And then the next message or the next part of that is go in peace. I love that. It's this idea that we have peace through the process of becoming more like Jesus. He's like, you accepted it without earning it, and now you have peace as you walk. And sometimes you're not going to look like Christ. So for those of us who have been following Jesus for some time, we realize that we really miss it. Sometimes we reflect a whole lot of other things other than love. We cast judgment. We condemn. We do different things. And Jesus is saying, accept that I've given you the gift. Go in peace through the process. When you don't reflect love, remember how you earned the gift. It's that you didn't. You freely accepted it. But now go in peace through the process that Jesus continues to work on you as you go on. And this is, this is essentially the gospel. Accept the gift and respond in love. That's what's going on. And my question for you this morning is, will we accept this gift that is being freely offered um, by God? It's like, <laughs> will we accept it and respond in love? And so I kind of want to finish with these two questions. One, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you don't claim Christ, do you want to encounter this God? This God that willingly goes to the table and eats and spends times with people who want nothing to do with him, who are openly against him, openly reject him, he still has time for them. And also for people who have screwed it up more than anyone else. They, they realize that they're wrong, like that's who God's for. Do you want to encounter this living, powerful, incredible God? And if you do, I invite you when we're taking communion here in a few minutes to come up to the respond banner. We're going to have some men and women who would love to talk to you about that or maybe talk to one of your friends or somebody in this room 
who's a follower of Jesus and just say, I do want to encounter this living God. That's the invitation. The second thing for us Christians is, are we responding to this grace by the love showing the fruit in our freedom of Christ? It's like, are we responding to the gospel in love? Because anything else is not a legitimate response. Anytime we're doing anything else other than proclaiming Christ and loving people with Christ's grace, we're just missing it. We have the peace that God is still working on us. He's still working through us. But let's just own up to it and share it. For not responding in love, as you take communion, just say, hey, I want to. Like, I want this to be what I'm known by. I want my great love to show that I've been forgiven. It's not an earned thing. It's not something you're, you're gaining. It's something that you're accepting and then reflecting. It's a beautiful thing. So if you're not a Christian, do you want to encounter this God? And if you are, am I responding in love to this gospel? Let's pray.